You are listening to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. Welcome to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. I am coming back to you with part five. Can you believe it? Part five in our series um, on the R. Kelly trial under the Just Jonda's legal breakdown. So if this is your first time, welcome. If it's not, then we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to catch up on. Well, not really, but you're certainly going to hear quite a bit of my commentary, which you're used to. Okay, so I guess the big news is that after five weeks and 45 witnesses, the prosecution has rested. As of Monday, um, and let's say Monday the 20th, the prosecution has rested their case in chief against R. Kelly. Now, the defense did put on a brief, uh, a brief defense that started about Monday afternoon and went until, uh, I guess they had maybe one or two witnesses that went this morning. It was very brief. R. Kelly did not testify, which I expected. And then, uh, yes, I see C. Ferron Mary. Yes, you can call in, but just give me a few moments. And then certainly, if you could type in the chat what you'd like to talk about, that would be great, or what your question is, and I will bring you up. So um, at any rate, they, uh, the defense. With every witness on cross-examination and, and they didn't keep anybody up too long. I think the person that they probably uh, went after the longest was maybe Geronda Pace. But for the most part, they didn't really do very much. And that's always a, a difficult road to walk for a defense attorney when you are dealing with alleged victims of assault, especially if as you watch the courtroom, you watch the jury, essentially as you're reading the room, if you think that there's at least some measure of sympathy for them. Now, of course, you don't want the jury to totally um, be enamored with them and sympathetic to them. And because, of course, the more sympathetic the jury is to the person, the more likely they are to believe them, which, of course, is not good for your client. However, um, you still, even with trying to discredit their te their testimony, it is still a balancing act, discrediting their testimony, but at the same time, not getting them to the point of breaking of breaking down, which of course could bring uh, more sympathy to them. And of course, as I said, 
the more sympathy, the more likely they are to be believed. You don't, I mean, it's nobody's goal to make someone hate an alleged victim, but you certainly don't want them sympathetic to the point of going, oh, poor so-and-so. Well, gosh, I guess this did happen to them. Look how sad they are. You know, so, um, but especially with sexual assault victims, because if the more you upset them, then the more you appear to be re-victimizing them on the behalf of your client. So basically what R. Kelly's defense team did is they pretty much stuck to the same line of questioning when it came to the 11 Jane Doe's, which was to, again, point out or at least attempt to point out to the jury that these individuals were groupies, stalkers, uh, individuals who were enamored with him and just willing to do anything to be next to their favorite star. And with the exception of one or two who described incidents that were um, what people typically think of when they think of sexual assault, which is he stripped my clothes off, he held me down, etc. There was only, well, there was the one main incident and then there was one where the person talked about not exactly wanting to do it, but she didn't describe it in the same way as the one alleged victim did with a full on uh, violent attack or again, violent in what people traditionally think of with assaults of this nature. So, it was fairly easy for them other than those instances of those two instances to pretty much stick with the same line of questioning with everyone not to focus too much on the age stuff because you're really not going to get anywhere with that if someone says they're 16 then they said they were 16 unless you have something like the smoking gun to prove that they weren't there's not a whole lot to really play with there and to keep harping on it just reminds the jury that the person was underage. So the best you can do is just really try to appeal to uh, anybody in the jury who would go, you know what? He was a superstar. This comes with the territory. Women are trying to get at him. They they want to be him. They want to have children with him. Groupie culture, trying to get a hold of his money, gold diggers, etc. So that is pretty much the line that they stuck with. The prosecution, and I'm, I'm going to get into some specifics in a moment as it relates to what went on through from days 12 through 18, because there was really only a few standout moments, quite frankly. But I am still concerned, as I was when I spoke to you all at the very beginning, that I still think that the prosecution may have overshot their shot on this one. I really do. I think that, and, and that's not all the prosecutions. That's not necessarily the situation in Chicago or in Minneapolis, I think this is a uniquely New York issue um, because of the fact that they chose to go at it a different way. They chose to, and to go at it in a much more spectacular way, quite frankly, by going after him uh, 
based on racketeering and um, uh, based on racketeering and uh, the Mann Act. And the prosecution in putting up this myriad of witnesses, they uh, attempted to prove 14 underlying criminal acts. Now, they only need to, uh, to prove at least two for this racketeering charge. I think that they knew that this was a case where they needed more because charging Kelly with racketeering for the type of behavior alleged was going to be a stretch for any jury. Also, so much of the uh, the issues, the criminal, the alleged criminal acts are either dated with little to no corroboration or it involves alleged victims who the jury may have a hard time believing were under the rest, under duress or held against their will. We're talking about situations where even the ones who were underage or their age was borderline got on planes to meet him places, sometimes accompanied by Kelly's people, but not always. Now, in those earlier days with tour buses, I think that's pretty cut and dry. Either they were on the tour bus with him or not. And if they were, especially the underage ones, that absolutely um, shows a lot more uh, control over that person and their environment of uh, the potential for uh, intimidation by either Kelly or his cohorts, all of the things that the prosecution needs for the juror who is less inclined to go with uh, the theory that ultimately they need them to, which is that there are other psychological factors that come into play as it relates to people staying somewhere, even when they're not chained to a wall. And those of us who have been around the block a little bit, we know that to be true. There are many instances and there is absolutely a uh, ample um, ample information out there if you want to read up on it, uh, whether you're talking in the instance of battered women and you're talking about battered women's syndrome um, and, and just many other uh, instances. There's one, gosh, why is it going out of my head? You know, where kidnappers are with someone and they, you know, begin to empathize with their kidnapper. Um, of course, you had that situation come up with, uh, with Patty Hearst. So we do know that these psychological issues are real. And as I've discussed in some of our previous episodes, there are a lot of things that if true, or if the jury believes they're true, because that's who's most important at this point, uh, if the jury believes that they are true, that weren't just psychological strongholds on these individuals, but also manipulative strongholds in terms of their concern that horrible things about them would be put out there 
um, and I mean out there for public consumption, the videos that were taken, alleged confessions or apology letters that he had them write. So if the jury believes any or all of uh, some of, of that testimony, then there are certainly other constraints that someone, especially someone with not very much life experience, when we're talking about younger people, would feel was a limitation on their freedom or their ability to get to get away. I also don't think that we can discount the fact that you also that there's um, young girls who are being uh, who are contracting a sexually transmitted disease from this person because that adds another element of psychological control of or manipulation when you are young and not very well informed and someone is is telling you or you just think based on the situation no one else is ever going to want you you are spoiled you are ruined and if this person is going to want you and keep you around then you need to stick with it you combine that with all of the other things that were talked about that certainly could overcome uh, the de any defense hope that the jury will just be like, you know what, if you weren't held down and you were free to come and go at will, then this is not, uh, then, then he wins. That this is not a man at case, that he wasn't transporting you for these illegal means. You did all of these things yourself. You chose to go from state to state with him. You chose to come to his shows. You chose to stay at hotels. And of course, in the instances as it relates to the sexual activity, you chose to have sex with him. There are, uh, that is something that the prosecution needs to be very concerned about the jury embracing. And quite frankly, they don't, the defense doesn't need the entire jury to embrace it. They only need one. So, um, and even with the psychological testimony, because there was some, I'm not sure if I think it was enough or that it was even the right person. But on the last day, and that's another thing, I, it, maybe they should have done, done it sooner. On the last day of trial, thank you, Hope, for coming in and for the gift. Um, not the last day of trial, I'll take that back. On the last day of the prosecution's case in chief, their final witness testified, or was it final witness? Might've been second to last witness testified that, and this was a Dr. Hughes, um, gave psychological testimony about these very issues, about why a person would stay. Beyond the lies, the manipulation, the threats, the alleged abuse, why a person would stay. And again, this is the type of testimony that typically needs to be given in any case that has elements like this, particularly um, when you have cases involving uh, battered women. So my concern, even in who they had testify, and this is no um, 
this is no diminishing of Dr. Hughes in any way, is that they had a barrage of women come in and testify. He did this to me. He did that to me. This happened, that happened. And then to have a woman come and underscore that they stayed because of this, I almost feel like it should have been a man. I, I'm inclined to believe that maybe either they have a, a man giving another layer to what she said or a male doc, a male psychologist talking about that altogether so that there is something to take away from the potential juror who might be like, oh, this is just another woman coming in to try to put uh, check marks next to all of these other sketchy women coming in and claiming that this man was doing this to them when all they really wanted to do was be next to a superstar. All that being said, even though um, I do think that charging him with racketeering may have been a bit of a stretch, I still think they have a better shot with that charge than with the Mann Act charge. I still didn't do not feel like I saw enough as it relates to the Mann Act charges. And I mentioned this in the very beginning. If this jury convicts Kelly of any of the Mann Act counts, it's going to be because they want to, not necessarily because the prosecution actually proved that he was guilty of those violations. But again, I don't think they're necessarily in a bad place with the racketeering piece. And if, if for no other reason, if you toss out every other woman in this scenario, especially given the fact that some jurors may be troubled with the fact that they all pretty much came to him, um, Age issues notwithstanding, yes, some may have been 15, 16, whatever. I think that there's there's still going to be jurors who have an issue with that. However, the stuff with Aaliyah is very compelling. Dated 27 years ago, but compelling nonetheless. So if the jury, again, gets over the hump of the fact that this was a long time ago and that uh, that these matters are being used to kind of jerry-rig <laughs> this prosecution to say, oh, he did this, he did that, to um, make this racketeering charge fit, if the jury can get over the hump of having a little a bit of a bad taste in their mouth about the about that, that's their racketeering charge right there, in my opinion. Between the alleged sexual activity with her and the admitted uh, issue as it relates to the manager getting the ID, which is illegal on his face, he admitted flat out to bribery. That information alone is something that absolutely will help them with the racketeering case. Now, there was, again, the allegation of the allegation of rape by the one uh, young lady. But again, with racketeering, it's not so much that the person may have 
committed bad acts. It is whether or not the enterprise was a part of helping to facilitate these bad acts happening. And as I told you all from my very first episode regarding this case, even the the uh, convincing the jury that this criminal enterprise was in place may be a bit problematic because all of the things that the individuals were around him were a lit uh let me repeat that <laughs> all of the things the individuals around him are uh, are alleged to have done are things that in his particular line of work they would be doing anyway individuals who make sure and this is right from their indictment individuals who make sure that you are promoted and your brand is built and that you continue to become famous and do whatever they need to do to make sure that you are that you are well known so that you can get what you want well that's the job of attorneys managers lawyers roadies and anybody else that's involved with somebody in show business now the extra step obviously that the feds are alleging is that they weren't in making him a star the reason that they were making him a star is so that it could facilitate his proclivities that again is another reach because as i just said a few minutes ago the things that they were doing are their jobs this is not the same thing as with the mob which and that's you know an organized crime which is what which is who the rico uh, statute was put together to take down where all of the individuals who were involved, there was a criminal element to what they were doing at every level. There weren't many people with legal jobs. Yes, there was an accountant, but that accountant's job was to hide assets. And yes, there were bankers, but those bankers' jobs were essentially to scrub the money. The you know All of their lieutenants going down the line were there's no question that they were a part of a criminal enterprise because their behavior was inherently criminal their job definition was in was criminal you have an enforcer an enforcer's job is per se criminal activity and and again that's that's an enforcer as we would view it from the standpoint of you know if we're thinking about uh, uh someone in organized crime that's not the case here these individuals while they may have committed acts on kelly's behalf in the normal course of their jobs that's not why it well arguably and and if his attorney has half a brain he would be arguing that that is not why 
this group of individuals were put together. This group of individuals were put together ultimately to make him a star because that is what you do when you work for someone who is in the entertainment industry. Now, if that star that you just happen to be dealing with has certain proclivities that they want fulfilled and you want to keep your job, then yeah, that you're probably going to then do other things if that is the position that they put you in. Okay, you're my roadie. You're, you know, probably low man on the totem pole anyway. Um, see those three girls over there? Yeah, give them some backstage passes where they can come backstage. And then whatever happens, happens. Now, we do arguably have the fact that as things went on, these individuals were involved in, and allegedly, in helping to um, helping to make sure that these women followed these bizarre rules in the house. And of course, if any of them were underage and he told you not to let them out of the room or like the young lady who said he kept her in the room and she's starving for days and all those things, then yes, you did help to facilitate a crime and the continuation of the crime. And if you even helped to get her for him, especially if you knew why he wanted her, then yes, you were an accessory to a crime. And then once he slept with her, that crime was indeed committed and carried out. But it's sort of a chicken or the egg thing. It it depends on how they look at it. Because quite frankly, I think an argument can be made that even the criminal enterprise itself, not so much the criminal acts. We know we have at, at least some that they may buy, particularly with the Aaliyah stuff, but the enterprise itself, there are some great arguments for why uh, this the enterprise did not exist. And if the enterprise didn't exist, none of the other stuff matters because the enterprise is an element of the offense in as much as everything else. You got to have the enterprise to say what they were to say, okay, this enterprise was put in place because, and then this is evidence of the bad acts that this enterprise that was put in place because dot, 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 they actually committed it, and this is evidence of the of that happening. We've got some enterprise problems as far as I'm concerned. Again, I think that there are so many things in this situation that are so distasteful, which unfortunately, I think the prosecution is relying on. I'm not, I'm not gonna say that that's a good thing. But I think there's so many things that are distasteful. I think they are banking on the jury wanting to convict him if they can just give them even half a morsel to sink their teeth into, which is not unlike, uh, not unlike what happened in the Cosby case. Don't get me wrong. Do I think that Kelly is the creepy McCreepster that the feds do? Absolutely. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm not his attorney. 
Um, so I can have an opinion on this just like anyone else in the general public. It's just that since I'm an attorney, I'm capable of explaining it better than most people in the general public. But didn't we already know that? And now I'm going to have to talk, have a little conversation, little sidebar with my peoples, my fellow people of color, my white listeners. You know, you can hang out, too, because, you know, you're going to get a little insight into it. Haven't we known for years, whether through the criminal justice system or through what is commonly known now, I hate this word, but cancellation, um, that R. Kelly's reign as the peed piper of R&B could have been shut down in the early 90s when he was just black famous, when we were the only ones who were really, you know, pumping his music hard you know, bumping and grinding, 12 playing. When he was running around singing Sex Me Baby, we were alerted to his marriage to Aaliyah. It was 1994. And quite as is kept on the heels of that marriage, his escapades began to be not so quietly whispered about. And that has continued through his career, decade after decade. And we're rolling into decade four. They were black girls and young black women, seductresses, gold diggers, those who historically and stereotypically by their very existence exude sexuality and maturity, making them not only unworthy of protection, but not needing it. Isn't that a little bit of what happened here? And now, decades later, after countless articles, interviews, exposés, a six-part documentary, there are 11th-hour attempts to convict him on theories that juries may not even understand based on acts underlying it that many of us believe there's no doubt that he did. But look at how and when these things are being dealt with. And what makes it worse is that if or when he walks legally, nobody will really be able to argue is a wrong decision because this is truly a coin toss in my opinion. But like Bill Cosby, Kelly doesn't think he did anything wrong and neither does his supporters. So for them, it would be vindication. And so that is troubling to me as I look at the end of the prosecution, prosecution's case in chief, the very limited case that R. Kelly's defense put on. I mean, we're talking barely the equivalent of a day and a half. And still, despite knowing what I know, seeing what I've seen and reading what I've read about this case, and source after source and trying to make sure I'm bringing you all uh, the most accurate and up-to-date information uh, when I could pull that together in between the other shows, I still think is a toy cost. I mean, I'm sorry, a toy cost. I still think it's a coin toss. I really do. And there may be others who, um, who disagree with me. Yes, Hope said because he went unchecked. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he didn't go unchecked because it was impossible to check him because 
the things that he is alleged to have done, this is just 11 people. This is not the folks who, at this point, it's so ridiculous. Sadly, they joke about the fact that, oh, yeah, it's R. Kelly hung, up, hung, out, uh, hung out across the street at the McDonald's across from my high school. You know how many people testified about R. Kelly and McDonald's? I have friends who are McDonald's owners. I feel bad mentioning that because it just makes their restaurant sound bad because R. Kelly likes them so damn much. So it's so I'm I'm very disturbed by that. And I think as usual when we deal with these things, there's so much more um that the consumers of his art just went along with just because he was R. Kelly. And it's unfortunate because before he was the international award-winning phenomenon pinning songs with the biggest stars and having Bugs Bunny believing he could fly in Space Jam, he was just R. Kelly in public announcement. Apparently a local purr from Chicago with undeniable talent, but by his own cohort's admissions, an equally undeniable sexual deviant side, particularly aimed at young women and girls. And he used his magical music writing pen to not only seduce them, but seduce a generation with his initial offerings and then people ignored it for decades. It literally became a joke for many people. A bad joke, a dark joke, but a joke nonetheless. So now you've got my concerns about where this case is. Let me just give you a quick roundup of how the prosecution finished up and then we'll be out. I'm not gonna hold you too much longer. So, as I said, ultimately 45 witnesses and almost five weeks, a little less. I mean, this trial started on the 18th of August. So it went on almost, you know, what was that? Friday, the 16th of September. So it's been going on for a minute. Now, the last week or so, you still had some individuals testify, particularly this one uh, person named Sonia. Of course, we know they were given different names. And she came up and she testified that um, she woke up with, uh, well, she recalled meeting him at a radio station in 03. And she said that she later traveled to Chicago because he agreed to an interview. Now, this is where the Man Act stuff comes into play because remember, most of their Man Act charges involved a person who was actually an adult the entire time. But the Man Act is more is actually more so related to the is is essentially sex trafficking. You know, there's there's a whole long explanation for it. But bottom line is the man act is sex trafficking. So uh, someone transporting 
uh, women and girls from place to place for um, for sex or um, for the purposes of prostitution. So this person said that once she arrived for her interview, he never even went on record with her. Instead, she was locked in a room. She was at its, at an, unfortunately, she was at his home studio and she claimed that he left her there for several days without water and food. And in the meantime, she also had to sign several non-disclosure agreements. She said that while she was locked away, his employees went through her phone. They gathered information about her, about her daughter. And she even said that at one point when she finally did eat, she lost consciousness. This part, you know, trigger warning. She said when she woke up, she's not really sure how long she was out. She said that Mr. Kelly was getting up she felt something between her legs that pretty much let her know that there was uh, some type of sexual activity that happened either with her or on her. She said that she was confused and she wasn't even wearing underwear at that point. And she goes on to give more graphic testimony about how she felt. But as I, as I said, she felt in the manner that someone would feel if someone had some kind, some type of um, sexual activity with them. Now, she said that, uh, so of course, now she did good at that point, um, giving that, and she even handled being um, cross-examined by Mr. Deverell Koenig, now, as you all know, Mr. Koenig is R. Kelly's attorney who, I swear, there's been some faux pas that he has made throughout this trial that almost make me wonder, like, is this real? And I try very hard not to uh, make disparaging remarks about my colleagues, but geez, Louise. He, of course, as any defense attorney would, he basically questioned her in a manner to... Um, try to elicit testimony from her that she made up this situation and that she was not assaulted. And he even went so far as to imply that she didn't pass out from uh, being drugged or anything like that because there was an implication during her um, direct testimony that maybe her passing out was due to drugs, especially since it happened right after she finally had something to eat. But he implied, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 yeah, he implied that she, it wasn't drugs, that it was probably the MSG from the Chinese food that made her pass out. Yeah. So another of his, assistance, uh, Diane Copeland, was testified after one of the Jane Doe's in, in that case, Sonia. And she testified more so about uh, giving further color, more so about the lengths that he would go in order to control the, the women, um, 
keep them apart, keep them from talking to one another. Like even if, especially for the live-in ones, even if an Uber driver came, they weren't to look at the Uber driver. They couldn't look up. Everything was handled for them, especially if it was a male driver. In fact, if it was a male driver, they would have to send the driver away and call another one until a female driver appeared. Now, I don't know why they couldn't just look at the name that pops up that when you get an Uber that tells you who's coming to pick you up, but maybe their Uber is different from mine because I've never had an Uber that came to me that didn't have a picture in the name of the person that was coming. So I don't know if maybe that was an instance that she might have been putting 20 on 10 as far as trying to make the situation sound more extreme. Like we even sent away Ubers or if they were just stupid, maybe one, some, one person called the Uber, but then somebody else just happened to be standing there when they pulled up. I don't know, but kind of weird. Um, she also testified to welcome Slovel. She also testified to having her pay docked once when she booked the girlfriends at the nail salon at the same time. And this is significant because the women were allegedly not free to roam the house. Um, or at least she said that um, uh, she said that they weren't. But uh, and they also were not free to talk to one another. They they weren't supposed to talk to one another. They certainly weren't supposed to talk to him. And so I'm assuming at any given time, they were kept in separate rooms. Now, she did say that um, there really wasn't anything to stop any woman from leaving, but that they really rarely did. She said that you know, they pretty much stayed where he told them to stay. You always had to knock to announce your presence and, um, you know, and then it went on from there. So they had yet another person um, testify, again, to some of the same thing. Now, there was another woman named Angela who talked about the fact that when she dealt with him, he would have her sleep with other people or other young ladies, and they would that he would videotape it. She never said who the individuals were, but she's not the first person to mention that there was at least on a couple of occasions, other rappers around. Are we surprised by that? No. Are we surprised that they didn't, that nobody is saying the names of these individuals? No. So she had, there's this, this one person, Angela, she said that she uh, worked as one of his backup dancers because she wanted, she was an aspiring singer as well. We know that that was yet another way that some of the young ladies came into his orbit. She apparently was um, a part of a group called Second Chapter. I don't remember them. I assume they didn't really go anywhere she was asked whether or not she knew Aaliyah because of the time frame 
you know, because this was 92, 93, she said that she definitely did uh, encounter her and that she she's yet another one who, the best way to say this, she was able to put people at the scene of the crime, so to speak, because she talked about seeing R. Kelly in the actual act with Aaliyah and during the time frame that she named, she's talking 92, 93, which would be around the time that uh, the singer would have been um, 13, 14, 15. Because we know for sure in 94, she was 15 because that was the year of the marriage. So another uh, big thing that happened, and this was last week. So last week is pretty much wrapping things up. So this is the week ending on the 16th, that Tuesday, which was what the 14th of September, there was arguments in court and I'm talking motions, not anybody fighting. There were arguments in court where the prosecution filed motions for the court to allow testimony that wasn't um, it, it was actually uh, tape recordings. So these recordings were made years ago and they were allegedly of R. Kelly berating some of the women. And because he used audio and video all the time, allegedly with these women, when they found some of them, they weren't always flattering to him. Like one was of him accusing a lot, a woman of lying to him. He threatened her. He cursed at her. He assaulted her. He's even heard yelling, um, about some, him coming to Florida and something happening to her if she steals from him again. And according to ABC news, prosecutors were actually planning to call the woman who was the subject of the second recording, but when they were going over it with her, you know, preparing her testimony, they said that she broke down. So that was added uh, to the information as well. And in that particular tape, he uh, is allegedly heard um, yelling at her again, threatening to do things to her. And in that one, you actually hear um, some of the rants and uh, violence being threatened. Everybody had earphones to listen to the tape. Jurors listened over their ear, uh, listened over their earphones as well. R. Kelly didn't have any, but hell, they're his tapes. So there was no court on uh, on Thursday, and then Friday, as I said, they were wrapping things up. So they had the the psychologist that I talked about earlier in the show, and then finally we have uh, the mother of rapper London on the track who at one point worked as an assistant for R. Kelly. And she also spoke about uh, seeing him have sex with one of the victims, being berated by him, seeing him go off on some of the other women, and how even for the most minor of infractions, usually related to things like maybe walking into a room without knocking and things like that, that he would make people sign apologies. And usually they were 
little bit more elaborate than what they actually did. And again, this is testimony that goes towards this idea that as part of the control techniques of he and will say as as the prosecution would allege he and the enterprise that those um that those apologies those letters the tapes and all of those things would be used against people as the time if the time came and if nothing else even if they're never used there's things that you do to people if nothing else just to scare them into thinking that they're going to be used in a manner that is um, that makes them look bad. I mean, we already know how bad the tapes are and, and what uh, and what kind of control that could have over the person, especially pornographic tapes and videos of uh, young women with multiple partners and individuals of the same sex and all of that. Not everybody wants to be a Kardashian and have a career made off of being a sex tape. And let's face it, that doesn't often happen and um, have that turn out very well for uh, young Black women. I'm sure there are, excuse me, a lot of young women who look back at some of the videos that they did for BET After Dark that thought that was going to be their glow up who are like, yeah, that didn't quite work out for me very well. So that is your latest update. I will be coming back, uh, if not tomorrow, then on Friday to have, and today is Wednesday, for those who are not here live, today is Wednesday, September 22nd. Uh, I will be back tomorrow or Friday to give you the final wrap up. As I said, the defense case has been, was very short. I'm still analyzing some of the information, but barely a day and a half. We know for sure, because the defense has rested as well, that R. Kelly did not testify. Nobody expected him to. I certainly didn't, especially given that he's still got a mess of cases to deal with in Chicago and Minneapolis. I also believe that his defense probably figured even if the feds got a win out of this, they're going to appeal it to high heaven anyway, which... I don't blame them. I don't, I would expect nothing less. So um, tomorrow there will be what we expect in court tomorrow, Thursday, the 23rd, will be the wrap up of the prosecutions, the federal prosecutors um, closing arguments. She went for three hours today. Um, I can't imagine that she's going to do much more than that tomorrow. It's just really not that necessary to uh, have a closing that really goes super long if you've done your job putting on your case. And the and then R. Kelly's team, given what they did in terms of his case presentation being so short and how they handled cross-examination with asking little to no questions of most of the witnesses, because I just feel like they didn't feel like it was worth it to get into sparring matches with uh, with most of these women, especially since the information was so dated. It's not like DNA is an issue or anything like that. 
I don't expect, uh, I, I'd, I'd really be shocked, quite frankly, but I don't expect that their closing is going to be anywhere near as long as the prosecution. If it's a couple of hours, that would be a, that would be reaching. And that would tell me that all they're doing is just taking the prosecution's case and, and trying to address every single point to dispute it. And I just really don't think that's necessary because again, as I said, as it relates to the Man Act cases in particular, I just don't think they met it. If the if the defense convict if the defense convicts him, um, I'm sorry, if the jury convicts him, the defense has certainly got more than enough um, for appeal on that. I just don't see it. The best shot is the racketeering case. And I think once they reinforce to the jury what they have been saying all along that, you know, these are disgruntled fans, gold diggers, blah, 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 not my words, their words. And, um, you know, just try to dismantle this notion of the enterprise, which hell, if they're listening to this podcast, they could just use what I just, uh, what I said a little bit earlier. I just don't see where they have to be there all day. So I suspect unless there are other motions or arguments regarding jury instructions, I'm not sure if they did that ahead of the case or if like we do here on the state level, they're going to do it immediately after, um, you know, after everybody closes, unless there are some uh, additional motions, the jury could possibly have this case as early as tomorrow evening or, you know, worst case scenario by uh, sometime Friday. But either way, I expect that uh, this is um, that the jury will be deliberating on this case by the weekend. And I'm not sure if they're going to do any weekend deliberations because I know that their sequester is um, only partial. So they may not. So um, it's going to kind of depend on what time they get the case, whether or not they actually start deliberating this week or next week. Because if it's like mid-afternoon, the judge may just be like, okay, you know what, come back on Monday. Um, but this case will have a verdict very soon. I don't think the jury is going to deliberate very long on this at all. I, I really don't. And so, but again, you know, I've been wrong before. I just don't see it. I think some of the issues are confusing, not necessarily on the RICO case. It's certainly not on the Manette case. So if the jury stays out for a long time on this, then it doesn't look good for him because I just don't think the prosecution's case was all that great if the jury comes back quick, it, this is one of the few cases where I think if the jury comes back quick, um, it's a possibility that he's gonna that he could walk. So it's it's gonna be very interesting to see how uh, to see how this all plays itself out. So that is it for me tonight. Thank you 
everyone for continuing to help grow this channel, to help grow this podcast. Our listenership is up. That is fantastic. And as I always tell you, if you want to interact daily, because I'm always on there um, and definitely have uh, active interaction, then come on and join us at the Fashion and Drama Diaries. That is my blog going on seven years of daily talk about, well, pretty much everything <laughs> on Facebook. That link is, uh, that link is right there in, um, in the info box, as well as following me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at let's be honest, JJ, that's at L-E-T-S-B-E-H-O-N-E-S-T-J-J. And my email is also there because you know that if there's some tea, I want to know it, even though I'm going to check up on it. I don't report raggedy tea. And of course, if there's any cases or anything interesting going on in your area you want me to check into, I would love to. I'm As soon as the R. Kelly stuff is over, as we have a lull between R. Kelly Britney Spears, which is about to go to court next week. So you can bet your bottom dollar. I'm going to have an update on that. I believe that's the 29th. So we've got a few days to digest the R. Kelly piece uh, before we jump back into that. Um, we'll do an update on the Theranos case. As I said, we're not doing that daily, but we're going to do updates. And then some really juicy stuff. There is a mess going on in Baltimore with... Um, Empowerment Temple, which is the former church of Jamal Bryant, who is currently in Atlanta. He is also infamously the spouse of Giselle Bryant on The Real Housewives of Potomac. And talk about reality TV and life being all mixed up. The one of the Tankard family, remember they had that show on E! as well, the sister and her husband took over that church and then that turned into a big mess. So I was like, good Lord. So we're definitely going to talk about that. Missy, who's one of our podcast besties, who talked with me about the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And as I told you, she's an attorney as well. She is uh, in Baltimore. So we are going to get into that. She's the one that brought that story to me. So we're going to follow that up and see where the mess takes us with that. It sounds like some good stuff. Other than that, as I said, thank you. Follow us on all podcasts. Go over to iTunes, give us five stars and a review and subscribe wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. We love to have you. And as always, even if we're talking about the law, if you're thinking about it and want to talk about it, chances are I'm thinking about it and want to talk about it with you. So let's be honest together.